Today's tale is a murder mystery. Well, sort of. Has anyone else taken a dislike to our obsession with the stately homes of England? Down with Downton Abbey, I say. Here are seven letters in support of my view. Murder, circa 1923. Dearest Fanny, it is only the thought of seeing you and Agatha at Guignol Park on St George's Day that keeps me sane. Try as I might to steady my rage with cognac and cigars, I become apoplectic each day by mid-afternoon because of father's behaviour. The palpable contempt with which he regards me, and regrettably, I must say, you as well, is really beyond the pale. He simply will not discuss matters pertaining to the land, or to his will, or to any of his plans. I have no reason to believe he has changed his will from the equitable distribution that was set down ten years ago, when, of course, we basked in the relative warmth of his affection, nurtured and guided as it was by mother. How I miss Mummy! But when his gaze falls upon me and I see the look of what I can only describe as hatred in his eyes, I begin to worry about our future. Of course, I have the consolation of my investments, but the tragic failure of either of my beautiful sisters to find suitable husbands leaves me desperately anxious about your prospects. Father prefers the company of the servants to that of his own flesh and blood. That weasel Flanders is always to be found at his elbow with an oleaginous grin. I know he is the butler of the house, but he trails around after father like a lapdog. It is most unbecoming. And there is that little trollop Anna, who lives some kind of fantasy life, that she is lady of the manor when she is barely fit to leave the scullery. Father indulges her tells her she has the potential to take over as housekeeper when that appalling drudge, Mrs. Stoop, retires. They really all are a monstrous crew. When I take my place at the helm, so to speak, there will be a significant clearing out of the flotsam and jetsam, I can tell you. As you can see, we have much to discuss when we are reunited. It is a grave situation that we face, and with a heavy heart I fear that nothing but a grave solution will suffice. All my love... Freddy. Dearest Freddy, how your thoughts and emotions echo my own. The last time I visited Guignol was for Father's birthday. I shouldn't have bothered. I'm not sure he could even see me, so invisible did he make me feel. How has this happened? As you say, when Mummy was alive, he was a doting parent. Certainly we saw the character of stern Sir Percy that he donned for business purposes, but we did not simply imagine the genuine affection he showed us then. Alas, it is no more. His heart has grown cold, and we are frozen out. I have never trusted servants, but Flanders and Anna do seem particularly odious. We might create some sort of incident to expose their worth to father, but I must emphasise that it is the matter of the will that is of the utmost importance. It is imperative that we discover whether or not it has been altered in any way from the document we witnessed. I am convinced that we must move quickly. We cannot wait for St. George's Day. Meet me in the Traveller's Rest in the village on Saturday at noon. I shall book a table. The fare is rustic but wholesome. I shall call Agatha, and we may all conspire together. With anxious anticipation, Fanny. Dearest Fanny and Freddy, how delightful it was to see you both at the Traveller's Rest on Saturday. As you requested, I am setting out in writing the plan upon which we are agreed. 
When you receive my letter, you must commit its contents to memory and destroy the evidence. Our Father has made our lives intolerable. He has rejected us. He has spurned our attempts at reconciliation, refused our forgiveness, and denied our requests to discuss the future with him. We strongly suspect that he may intend to rewrite his will to disinherit us from the fortune that he himself once inherited. We may be wrong, but we cannot afford to delay our intended course of action. Father must pass to his reward sooner rather than later. To achieve this, and to escape any suspicion that may fall upon us, we are determined each to administer a blow that will not be fatal in itself, but which cumulatively will result in his demise. If we should not escape such scrutiny, and his death not be accepted as an unfortunate misadventure, we resolve to direct the attention of any investigating officer to the base instincts and animalistic behaviours of the butler Flanders and the maid Anna. What is her surname? Does she even have one? We act only out of love for each other, and with regard to the eternal laws of natural justice, together we stand, Agatha. To my so-called superiors, congratulations, your father is dead. This is what you have been craving for years. Did you not know how obvious your plotting and scheming was? Did you not understand how transparent your hatred was? I noticed, I understood, even as you were railing against those of us who lurk below stairs, who cannot speak proper, who cannot even dream of the soft indulgence in which you have been cloaked for every minute of your pampered, lazy lives, even as you dismissed me, even as you swatted away my presence with the wave of a diamond-encrusted finger or the swish of a silk cravat, I was listening. The very idea that you have been poorly treated, that you have suffered, that you have faced injustice, is absurd. You have never experienced anything close to poor treatment, never dipped even your little toes in the pool of suffering, or journeyed within a hundred miles of injustice. I would pity you, your ignorance, were it not wreathed in such sneering arrogance. You are ignorant of everything that lies outside the world of your short-sighted prejudice. And not only are you ignorant, but even with the benefits of the expensive education that was lavished upon you, you have displayed a level of stupidity that is mind-boggling, and as such, you have delivered yourself into my hands. Patricide is an ugly thing. Incompetent patricide is farcical. Did you really think that the mild poisoning of cognac with arsenic perpetrated by Miss Fanny the timid dispensing of slightly too much laudanum by Miss Agatha, or the lacing of a third bottle of Bordeaux with something as pitiful as mere methylated spirit by Mr. Freddy was going to be enough to finish off someone with the constitution of Sir Percy? Fools! I myself had to come to your assistance and stab the slumbering knight of the realm with a carving knife, which I had carefully secreted after its flamboyant and, needless to say, inept wielding by Mr. Freddy at the St. George's Day banquet. A display which, of course, has left his fingerprints all over the handle. It would sadden me, were I not now consumed by a disdain that almost frightens me with the ferocity of its intensity. You will now do exactly as I say, or the gallows beckons for all of you. Oh, and I can almost sense the hope that rises in you as you contemplate flourishing this letter in front of the police. Be assured, it is written in a wonderful Arabic ink that will disappear completely seconds after you have finished reading. 
Further instructions to follow. Gloatingly yours, Flanders. Dear Anna, Surely now there can be no more impediment to our immediate union. You had asked me to be patient, to cool the ardour of my passion, so that we might plan the future. But now that Sir Percy, God rest his soul, is taken from us, and the small stipend that he promised you in his will can be realised, we have sufficient means to strike out independently. Be mine, Anna, be my wife. Come live with me and be my love. I yearn to carry you over the threshold of the home that will be our English fortress, and where we will raise a family, with all the warmth and joy of which we ourselves were deprived in our lonely and melancholy childhoods. I have absolute faith in you, in all things, and that is why, though I am troubled and admonish myself for recent rash actions, I know that by revealing all to you, my conscience will be set clear, and I can look forward to a future unthreatened by the malice of the past. I lay before you now the last foolish act of a troubled man, so that with your understanding and compassion I may be elevated and blessed by you and by your consent to our being joined in holy matrimony. Knowing from the insinuations of Flanders the butler, of whom I think you were never very fond, that Sir Percy's poor children may have compromised themselves in their dealings with their father, my suspicions were directed not to those grieving innocents, but to the very fountain of infamy himself. Why, I reasoned, would Flanders wish to incriminate the three noble siblings, if not to draw attention from his very own malevolent machinations? It was he who killed Sir Percy, he who brandished the knife and thrust it fatally into the heart of his master, he and no other. And yet, being a diligent member of Her Majesty's constabulary, I required more than suspicion. I needed proof. Our finest scientific methods were brought to bear upon the murder weapon itself, but, alas, only yielded up the fingerprints of young Freddy. Flanders is no fool, and must have somehow wiped his own prints from the handle and trapped Freddy into leaving his own unwitting mark. Science having failed me, I resorted to extracting a confession from Flanders. He was brought into custody and questioned. Surly and uncooperative from the start, he roused my ire mightily when he told me he had proof that Freddy and Fanny and Agatha were guilty of the cold-blooded slaughter of their progenitor. I'm a mild man, Anna, but this filthy lie whipped me into a frenzy. I seized Flanders and demanded he tell me the truth. I chastised him both verbally and physically, and I could not stop myself. When I had expended all of my pent-up rage, Flanders was unconscious. I tried to revive him, but to no avail. Immediately shamed by the mortal blow with which I might have struck our future, Anna, I swiftly constructed a scene which none of my colleagues would question. I strung the man up with his own belt, left the cell and returned to raise the alarm that the bounder had hanged himself. There, it is over. The murder is solved. I was convinced that the butler did it, and I am vindicated. I throw myself on your mercy. Yours forever, Charlie Grubb, your very own inspector. Dear Charlie, I do not in any way regret what we have shared. It does sadden me to have to let you down gently. What with all the kerfuffle going on up here at the house, there's been such a lot to take care of. I knew those children were up to no good, and I had an inkling that old Flanders had rumbled them. So I can't really say that I agree with your suspicions that it was the butler that did it. And now that you've gone and killed him, well, Lordy Lou, as Mrs. Stoop likes to say. And to think that you've sent your own death warrant to me, wrapped in a love letter. Well, Charlie, you're nothing if not romantic. 
but unfortunately you are now going to hang, as I have no alternative but to give your letter to the senior officers. I'm so sorry, Charlie, but a girl has to keep her options open. Sir Percy and I had been carrying on, you see, and he promised to make me the main beneficiary of his will. He rewrote it with witnesses and all, and showed it to me, and I know where it is hidden. I have therefore no need of the modest income of a police inspector, and no need to tangle myself in a matrimonial knot. I shall sell Guignol Park and make my way to America, where I will become a great impresario. Goodbye, Charlie. They say hanging doesn't hurt, and you might even get a little excited at the thought of what we did together just before you pop it. Love, Anna. Dear all and sundry, as Mark Twain once wrote, and please note that I quote him correctly, the report of my death was an exaggeration. Little did I fear the callous but predictably futile gestures of homicidal intent delivered by those whom I am doomed to call my children. However, the vicious assault from an employee was an altogether more serious proposition, and I had to be prepared. Padded with layers of leather and linen, within which I had concealed a large packet of pig's blood, I endured a ferocious stabbing from my butler, and enacted, with a certain sense of theatrical pride, a powerful rendition of untimely death. Murder, murder most foul, I whispered, as I expired. I had also anticipated, though I do not begrudge her, the almost absolute lack of sentiment at my termination expressed by my lover, young Anna. Our affair was founded on pure lust from my part, and pure avarice from hers. I promised to leave her my fortune in my will, but of course I deceived her, for in fact I have deceived everyone. Not only am I not dead, but I am leaving nothing to any of you in my will. All that is solid melts into air. I don't expect that you will understand the reference, nor will you understand the morality of my intentions. I have come, over the course of a lifetime, to despise my own class, the decaying imbecilic embarrassment known as the English aristocracy, their rapacity, their selfishness, their careless exploitation of ordinary people, their delusions, their unspeakable habits, their greed, their stupidity, their self-righteousness, all of which, of course, I have been and perhaps still am guilty, though I have just renounced my title. No matter, I intend to make amends, to help usher in an age of revolution, and to overturn the despotic government of this country in the name of international communism. Guignol Park is to become the headquarters of the first English Soviet. It will be run on Marxist-Leninist principles, providing, in the first instance, a home for those who had been in service, but who now wish to retrain as political agitators. Join us as we haunt Europe. You have nothing to lose but your chains, not to mention fifty bedrooms, five thousand acres, and the house in Grosvenor Square. I forgive you all, in the name of the proletariat. Yours, Percy. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please share.